Hey, um, good morning, Sojourner. Good to see everybody here uh, online. Uh, hopefully, you're doing okay, and um, you know everything's been all right through the past week, and especially as we begin now the new year. Um, hopefully, 2021 will be di will be different. But you know, even as many of you already know, uh, just by watching the news, even this past week, it's been some crazy stuff that's been happening. But um, on a good note, I think, you know, vaccinations are coming out. And so hopefully, you know, we're making some progress to, um, you know, getting back to to some normal life, hopefully. And um, just pray that uh, we continue to progress that way. Anyways, <clears throat> what I'm <clears throat> what I want to do <clears throat> for, you know, this week, this week, today and also maybe next week and and the week after, and, and actually the whole month is, is to kind of begin a, a different topic, a subject, as we prepare for um, in-person worship, and it's going to come, you know, eventually, you know, it's going to come, and so I think we, we want to prepare for that, but I thought we'd begin by just looking at this passage, and we're going to spend a couple of weeks here um, looking at this passage, and um, to kind of move into the direction of, I think, what the church needs, and um, what we need to prepare for as we uh, think about worshiping in person again. But before we do that, <clears throat> I want to look at this passage and look at something that I think is very important, something that I've been reminded of. Let me ask you a question um, today. You know, what have you been praying for lately? Uh, what, if anything, um, have you been asking God for? Or, you know, even if, even if you haven't really been praying, what have you been desiring? Uh, what have you been wanting? What, what, what are you worried about getting or not getting? Um, what are you looking forward to? And this year, there's just so many things, I think, even as I think about myself and what to pray for and um, what to, to ask for, what, to, what I really want. Uh, in the midst of, you know, the pandemic, you know, just praying for some relief. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we're praying for health not just our own health, but someone else's health, someone that we love, someone that we care about. Maybe some of us, we're, we're, we're wanting a better work situation or even 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 a better job, uh, the perfect job. Um, maybe we're asking God to help our children get through Zoom online and hopefully get back to a normal education life and um, you know, just asking God to do something about that. Or maybe you're, you're more broad and, and you're more, I guess, corporate thinking and, and you're asking for peace uh, in our country, racial reconciliation, you know, um, political reconciliation. Um, and if anything, hopefully, maybe just asking for a better year, uh, that nothing else goes wrong. And, you know, hopefully just to make it pass. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what you're asking for. What, but what are you praying for these days? What are you thinking about? And, and as I think about what I'm what I'm praying for, or what I what I want, I, I realized something, everything that I'm asking for, uh, as important and I think as good as they are, everything is just about just here and now. Um, when I pray and when I ask for something, or when I think about praying and going to God for something, um, I'm immediately thinking about my desire, right? Uh, what what I think I need, what what I what I really want to pursue, or what I really think I need to have, and and I go to God for that. And to be honest, Jesus and God and He Himself, the person, is just an afterthought, right? Um, because I'm focused on 
the thing that I'm praying for, you know, or the thing that I'm wanting, or the thing that I'm desiring or asking for. And, and I thought about that. And, and as I look at this passage, uh, I'm reminded again of, I think, what the heart of, of Christian life ought to be like. And, and so this passage, as we look into a little bit more, I want to begin this passage by reminding ourselves, um, what is the heart of a Christian? Uh, where our leanings ought to be? And so this message, you know, for many of us, it's, it's, a, it's a reminder. For some of us, um, it's, it's something a little bit hard to hear um, because the focus seems to be something that we don't always focus on and uh, we don't always think about. But I think it's a challenge for us today. Here in our passage, you know, as Andrew just read, you know, we, we've been here before. Um, I, it was a big chunk of this passage, so I just kind of trying to trim it down as much as I could. But this comes after Jesus does this, this crazy, what I guess what we call a miracle. And he's teaching and preaching a lot of people there, 5,000 men, it says earlier in this passage. And what happens is he sees them and, and, and they're hungry. And so we're told in this, in this chapter that Jesus had compassion and, and he, he feeds them. And he does this, does this crazy, uh, I guess, you know, miracle. He feeds all these people with, with just, you know, a few loaves of bread and some fish. And it, it's, um, as you read this, it, it's a powerful moment, um, this passage. The, the crowd who received all this food, who see Jesus do this miracle, they're buzzing, right? It, it, it's, um, they're thinking, it's amazing, like, what, what God just did. And they were fed, all these people sitting there in the grass, and they were fed with with just a just a little bit, and God made that multiply somehow. And so they're thinking, "This is it, right? This is the guy. Uh, this is this is the one, right? Uh, this is the prophet." In verse fourteen, he surely he's the one. Right? He can do what what we can't do. He can give us what what we think we we need and what we what we wanted. He's the one. And so what they do is they they start chasing after him. They go after him. Why? Because they want to make him their king. I mean, if you have a leader who can give you what you want, that'd be a perfect leader, wouldn't it? And so he, they want to make him king. And so you would think, you know, if they wanted to make Jesus the king, I mean, after all, he is the king, right? You think he'd be happy. Uh, you think he'd be joyful or he'd be encouraged. Uh, he was getting famous. He, he was getting popular because of not only his teaching, but the things they were doing for people. And what we're told here um, in verse 15 is this. It says this, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And so the irony here is that you got a bunch of people who seem like they want to follow Jesus. You think that's what Jesus wanted. But we're told here that as they come to make him their king, he leaves, right? He, he disappears. He runs away into the mountains. He withdraws, right? Because of the fact that they wanted to make him a king, right? And then he addresses the, uh, the crowd again. And we're told here in verses 26 in our passage, Jesus tells them, he says, Truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so 
here's the thing, you know, the irony is that it seems like they're following Jesus. They want to follow Jesus. They saw what he could do and they thought, man, that's great. Let's make him our king. But instead, he rebukes them. And he basically says, look, you're following me for the wrong reason. You're, you're looking for me for the, for the wrong, wrong reason. You, you basically missed the point uh, of what I just did. You know, feeding the 5,000, we look at that. Wow, can anyone do that? No, that's what we call it a miracle. But here's the thing. When you read the Gospel of John, uh, John never uses that word miracle. What does he use? He uses the word sign. And there's a difference between what John thinks is a miracle and John thinks are signs. Now, what does the sign do? And maybe you've heard this illustration before, but, you know, if you have a destination where you're going on a vacation and you're doing a road trip um, and you're following uh, the map, right, you're going to your destination, whatever that is, you're following the map. And along the way, there are road signs. There are directions to where you need to be, where you need to go. That's what a sign does, right? Signs point you to your final destination. <clears throat> signs aren't the final destination. They point you to the direction that you want, wanted to go to. So if you're going on a vacation, you had a destination, but you stop at a sign or a signpost, you haven't made it all the way, right? It, it, it doesn't make sense to stop at a sign um, because that's not the final destination. And so here, what Jesus is saying, or what John here is saying, is that he's saying this, this miracle of what Jesus just did, feeding 5,000, whatever it is, um, <clears throat> isn't necessarily just a miracle. It was meant to be a sign. That's what Jesus says. He says, you're looking for me not because you saw the sign. You didn't see the sign. Signs point to the reality. And Jesus, who gave these people a sign, says to them, you're looking for me, but you haven't really seen the sign. You're looking for me because you ate your bread and now you're full. Jesus gave them bread to eat, right? Why? Well, because they were hungry. Uh, they, they needed food. And so he fed them. But at the same time, that event was also supposed to point them in a direction to a deeper, more ultimate spiritual reality. It was meant to be a sign. And yet the people were following him. Why? Not because they understood what the sign pointed to, but because they were concentrating on the fact that they got to eat physical bread, right? That they got to eat food, that their stomach was full. They were focusing on the fact that they ate bread. And for them, that was all that mattered. That was their ultimate reality. That was the final destination for them, right? Their goal. They just got to eat. And Jesus saying, no, you, you've got it all wrong, right? You got it all wrong. That, that you're, you're following me then for the different reason. Now, <clears throat> you know, don't get me bread. If you know me at all, I love bread. Uh, I, I think I'll eat any kind of bread, almost any kind of bread. I, I just I just like it. You know, I'm a carb freak and, um, you know, it's not always the healthiest thing, but, but I love bread. There's nothing wrong with bread, right? And um, the thing is here, the problem is, is that Jesus says, well, the bread is fine, but you just didn't see the sign because the bread, all you see is what you have in front of you. That physical bread, all you see is that, and that's it. 
And so the problem here in this passage that Jesus has with these people who want to follow him, who want to pursue him and make him their king, was the fact that they were focusing on the miracle of eating bread as if that was the ultimate reality, as if that was their ultimate goal. Now, we can use the word bread metaphorically, right, that physical bread, not just physical food, right, but just anything material that, that we tend to quote-unquote feed on or, or live for right? And there's always problems with that when you live for just here and now, just the thing that you have in front of you. Physical things and physical bread is not wrong. It, it's important. But there are a couple of things that we need to remember when we think about physical bread in relationship to Jesus Christ. And, and there are things that we need to be aware of that, that we struggle with as humans who are living in this earth, right? First is, when you look at things that you live for or, or physical bread, there's an idea sometimes, whether we think it or not, is that physical things are important. Physical breads is important, and it is, but they're not permanent, right? And oftentimes we think, well, if I just have this right now, I'll be great forever. And that's never the case, is it? In fact, the Bible says otherwise, that the world and its desires will pass away, 1 John chapter 2. Or in 2 Corinthians 4, that outwardly, physically, we're actually wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day right? So physical things are not permanent. Oftentimes when we look at the material or the physical or the world that we live in and what we do and what we want, we think physical bread oftentimes not only is not uh, permanent, but it's oftentimes we think it's the only thing that really matters, right? For example, if physical bread for you is human success, and that human success is defined by the amount of bread that you possess, right? We think that's the only thing worth living for. Uh, you know, if you dream of being rich, who hasn't? If you, if you dream of winning the lottery, living the ideal life, having, having the most money, having, having the best investments. Some of us, maybe, maybe, you know, the only thing worth living for, you say that this is my bread, it's this relationship. If I have this relationship, uh, this is all that matters. If I get this job, if I have this vocation, this occupation, that's all that matters. That's bread for me, right? Or if it's my reputation, right? Then that's all I need. That's, that's, that's the bread for me. And, and oftentimes then not only do we treat things physically in this world as if it'll be permanent, which is not, but we often treat it as if it's the only thing that really matters. And of course the Bible tells us otherwise, Matthew 16, what good will it be if a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Be on guard for all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? So not only do we, oh, we need to be careful of the lie that, that the physical bread that, that we're looking for is permanent, which is not true, nor is it the only thing that we need to live for, which is not true. But here's the last thing. We oftentimes think whatever that bread is for you, okay, not just food, but anything else, reputation, jobs, relationships, finance, whatever it is, oftentimes we think of this, life is found that in that. Life is found in that physical bread. This is the lie of all lies. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, you know, the temptation of Adam and Eve, you know what the serpent said. The serpent said, look, if you eat this, right, you will have life. You will know everything. And they eat it. But what happens is they're just more hungry. And they thought life was in it. And then once they've gotten it, they weren't satisfied. And so in the same way, whatever you consider your physical bread or your earthly bread or whatever it is that you're living for or eating up for, um, it's so easy 
to find your life or to seek your life in people, right? In their acceptance, in their approval for you. That's life for me. If I don't have this, I'm, I'm a wreck. Or maybe you could say it's so easy to have your life found in possessions, how much you have, or even in your positions, you know, what role you play uh, in your family or at work. It's so easy to believe that nothing will satisfy you like romantic love, like that perfect relationship, or that dream of success in your career. It's easy to fall into the pursuing idle images of, of our culture, or even simply just to have a nice house, a nice car, and great vacations, right? We can oftentimes say, that's, that's life. That's what it is for me. Now, <clears throat> I, I wanna be clear. Uh, material or physical blessings, all right, earthly blessings, present here and now blessings, um, they're not bad, they're, they're good, okay? And every good and perfect thing comes from above. But here's my point. The blessings that God gives you in your family, in your marriage, in your earthly or physical life, whatever they are, what are they meant to do for you? They're not just to make you happy for a moment. They're not just the final goal of your life, the final destination of your life. Those blessings, those earthly, physical, and yet temporal blessings are blessings, and they're great, but they're also meant to be signs. The bread that Jesus gives was meant to be a sign, a sign that points to the blessing of the presence of God in your life. Signs that ought to bring you to a point of thankfulness and gratitude. Signs that are meant to bring you to even a point of worship in the goodness and the grace of God in your life, who has given you all these good things in your life. And it really means this, that it's not your wife who's the final blessing. It's not your husband who's your final goal. It's not even your children or even your, your house or your work or lack thereof. And we're not saying here that you shouldn't therefore seek to improve your life here and now, or that you shouldn't pursue better relationships or work on a better vocation or a job. But here's the point that I see here. If you're a Christian today, what does it mean to be a Christian? And the question that we need to ask and that I need to ask myself is this, what kind of bread am I hungering for? Whose bread am I looking for, right? Because if you are just living for earthly bread, quote unquote, if you think that's going to be the source of your life, then the problem is this. You and I, we're going to be in big trouble when we feel like we don't have it. You and I are going to feel so insecure when we feel those things are threatened or worse when they're lost. And if you come to God, right, if that's the only reason you ever come to God, just to get your physical needs met, as good and as legitimate as they are, right, if that's the only reason we come to God in prayer, for example, then maybe he's not really God in your life. Not the sovereign God of the universe who we say saved our lives. Maybe he's not that. What is he? He's the UPS guy. He's the FedEx guy. He's the guy delivering what you want, what you think you need, your dreams. He's there to give you what you think you really need. And that's not the God of the Bible. Here in our passage, we're told that these people want to follow Jesus. They're chasing after him. They want to make him king. But what do they really want? 
Why were the crowds of people following after Jesus? And Jesus calls them out. He said, look, you're not following me uh, because I performed this sign, right? You're following me because you had food and you got what you wanted and your stomach was filled. They were following him for a wrong reason. It wasn't out of sort of this humble submission to his lordship and his willingness to you know, follow Jesus wherever he went. But it was a pursuit of Jesus that was born out of a love for the self. And I hope that here's a guy, here's Jesus, who will be able to meet their felt needs. The people here in our passage, they may have experienced a miracle. But Jesus said they didn't see the sign. They were focused on that piece of bread that they just get to eat, which would only satisfy for a moment. But they missed the one who gave them bread. And they missed following him for the right reason. You know, I, I think I shared this illustration before, you know, and I, and I really miss these days. But, you know, when the kids were younger, uh, when Christian was maybe like three or four, I uh, took him to the Bronx Zoo. And um, you know, I think it was during winter and so pretty empty. But we went to the giraffe, the giraffe exhibition of all places. And it was indoors. And um, there was no giraffe there at the moment because I guess it was inside and it was eating or sleeping or something like that. But as we were waiting for the giraffe to maybe come out, uh, even Christian at that, that young age, he points to the ground and he says, Daddy, look. Look at the ants. And I look down on the ground, and there's these little ants that are walking across, right, the ground. And he seems so amazed by them. He seems so focused on those ants, right, which you don't have to go to a zoo to see. But at that very moment, this giraffe, this huge, tall giraffe, this amazing creature just starts walking out of its, um, you know, his room in the cage into the open. And he's tall, and he's long, and he's big, and... And I'm excited and I say, Christian, look, look at the giraffe, right? The giraffe is here. That's a giraffe. And all he could do was focus on the ants. He was so focused on the ants that he missed the giraffe right in front of him. And oftentimes, I think that's how we are. And that's how the people in our passage were, right? They were focused on that one little temporary bread. That's all they wanted, but they missed the glorious presence of Jesus Christ and who he was right in front of them. Here in our passage, there's crowds of people chasing after Jesus. They want to make him their king, but they're still only talking about, they're still only thinking about just what they could get here and now, what they could get now. And all along, Jesus keeps talking about not just what you get here now, but what you get up there now, and even later and forevermore. And so there's a conflict in, I guess, goals or destination here. The question I have for you today is this, whose bread are you living for? What bread are you trying to eat? What, what do you think gives you life, right? And this is a question that I think not only do I need to ask myself as I pray for things and as I want things, and not only a question that we need to ask ourselves as a church, but, you know, to be honest, just last week, you know, that crazy incident where all those crowds of people uh, stormed the Capitol just a few days ago. And if you remember, and you see some of the videos and the pictures, there are those banners of Jesus all over the place, you know, and banners of, of, of Bible verses and, and so on and so forth. And, and, and really, I, I really, it boggles my mind 
uh, how that's possible. And, and I'd like to ask them the same question that Jesus does. I like to ask them the same question. Whose bread are you living for? Right? What are you trying to do here? Because I think, to be honest, I think if Jesus was there at Capitol Hill when this was all going on, I think he would have run away into the mountains. I think he would have run away, just like he does here in our passage. But consider this for yourself. Think about your marriage or think about, you know, your job or what, what work you want to have or your children, if you have them. Think about your friends, your relationships, your home, even your church, even this country. And ask yourself the question, whose bread are you living for? What do you want from Jesus Christ? And is your dream, is your goal in life, is your final destination nothing more than your idea of what it means to have heaven on earth? Is that all it is? Are we only praying for our own personal paradise? Every husband and wife has dreamed of maybe a perfect wife or a perfect husband. Every parent maybe have thought and desired that perfect child, that son and daughter. Every employee has thought about wanting that perfect job or that perfect boss. Every person has thought about what it means to have a great friend and a great church or even a perfect pastor. Or maybe it's just finding, you know, that financial life where, you know, you don't have to worry about anything anymore. But where, where is your hunger today? What are you pursuing? What bread? And, and I just want to be clear. Yes, bread, food, physical things, material things, they're not unimportant. And, and certainly they are important. They're, they're and very relevant. It is important for the body. And God cares for that. He does take care of us physically as well. But Jesus says here in our passage, what's the point? He says this, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. You're pursuing this bread. And here at the same time, Jesus says, I'm just standing right in front of you. And I'm the bread. And I don't think they saw that. And here, the thing in our passage, they, they address him as a miracle worker. In verse 14, they call him a prophet. In verse 25, they said he was a rabbi. But over and over again in this chapter, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Verse 41, I'm the bread. I'm the bread that come down from heaven. Verse 48, I'm the bread of life. Verse 52, I'm the bread of life. Again, that comes from heaven. Over and over again, he's trying to tell him just plain, plainly, look, you want that bread, but look, I'm the one. I'm the one, much more than a miracle worker, much more than a prophet, much more than a rabbi, I am, I am the name of God. I am the bread of life that's come from, from heaven. I'm Emmanuel, God with us, right? I'm the one who cares and who shepherds and who guides and I'm the one who feeds and I'm the one that you and I are called to be feeding on daily, right? And then my point here is this, if living for now and whatever you're wanting for in 2021 and whatever that is, if all that is, is just about getting up in the morning with a smile, satisfying job, romantic weekends, fun vacations, encouraging friendships, maybe well-mannered children in a nice house and a good neighborhood and a budget that works, right? If that is all that is, that is if that is all you want, then be careful. Because here's the thing, as important, as legitimate, and as good as those things are, 
The God of the Bible is willing to compromise those things, to compromise those things, those things that are only meant to be signs, not the destination, not the goal, not him, in order to produce a greater, a fuller, and a more deeper, genuine faith in us. When difficult things happen, when you ask for things or you want things that haven't come to pass, you could either throw a tantrum and say, what is going on? Why can't I have it? Or you can turn to God and you can trust that in the midst of those difficult experiences, experiences that make us wonder if God really loves us, experiences that make us wonder if he's really listening to our prayers and make us envy people that, that we don't even know. Uh, we can wonder that, but yet we can trust God is working and that he's doing these things and we're going through these things because he's giving us the goal of our faith, bringing you to a destination, moving you from signs to the real blessing of a greater and fuller and more genuine faith. And you need to trust Christ for that. It takes some faith to do that, doesn't it? But think about this. Who do you think demonstrates greater faith? The person in life who's got everything relatively easy and says, well, yeah, I guess God is pretty good. Or the person who is filled with pain and loss and anxiety or fear, and they're still able to say that God is still good. Which one to you demonstrates greater faith? Which bread do you hunger for? Whose bread are you wanting to feed on? Are you always looking for the miracle in your life, but oftentimes miss the sign? Miss the sign. Do we only rejoice over our jobs or our friendships or our relationships? Do we only rejoice over our homes or, or even just when the bills are paid? Are we only happy with the God or the idea of God when we think God makes us happy? Because if that's the case, here's the problem. Our stomachs are never full with just physical bread. It, it, it's never enough. It comes and goes. And we have voracious appetites when it comes to the things that we want, to the material things like food, clothes, cars, technology, and even to the immaterial things like words of approval, words of acceptance, words of affirmation, someone's love, someone's, someone's care or acknowledgement. And it's, it's a constant cycle of filling and emptying and filling and emptying. And all along as we pursue those things as the ends, we are still hungry. And we're never satisfied. And yet here in this passage, you're confronted with a Jesus who says this in verse 35. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Friends, maybe you think um, this is a little bit more you know, hardcore in terms of being a Christian, right? Uh, to just think about the goal, who is Christ himself, right? But let me just say this, and let me just try to say this as graciously as I can. If you never think about pursuing Jesus just for Jesus, if you're always thinking about just what Jesus can do for you, and that's why you follow him, then you're a superficial Christian at best. Superficial. And I don't know if that offends you. Maybe it should. But the reason I need to say that is because 
there was nothing superficial about what it took to make you a Christian. You remember the Last Supper? You remember when Jesus says he takes that bread, right? He breaks it. And what does he say? This is my body broken for you. That's how he gave himself for you. His body, he himself, the bread, broken for you. His blood poured out for you to give you life, not just, not just for here and now, but for now and forevermore. And so, Sojourner, whatever we're praying for, yeah, you know, keep praying. Keep praying for those things. Sure, you know, it's okay not to, uh, it's okay to desire a lot of things that we think we need and even things that we want, as long as they don't become over-desires. But let's not forget to get some bread, not physical bread, but the real bread, the bread that Jesus says we'll never go hunger from, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, feed on him, make him your final goal, your ultimate destination. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference how you live your Christian life when you set Jesus as your ultimate goal and not just what he gives. So for example, <clears throat> You know, church friends are important. And when you find a church or you go to a church, you, you might find friends, right? Friends who you relate with, people who are more like you or in the same, I guess, areas of interest as you. But when you find Jesus, when, when he's the ultimate goal of your life, not having friends, when he's your bread, then you make friends who are more than just like you, but you make friends who are different from you. You make different kinds of friends enemies become friends it makes a difference community and fellowship is important and it's been hard to do community and fellowship over zoom or in a pandemic uh, we try the best we can and it's important for many of us but that's not the bread is it and so when you go for jesus when you pursue jesus who says i'm the bread then you realize he puts you in a community he puts you in a fellowship of sinners and he tells you to love right now where you are with what you have and not wish where you were somewhere else where you could be with what you don't have. It makes a difference when you pursue Jesus as the bread of life. When you pursue Jesus as the bread of life, it makes a difference how we think about social justice or mercy or even missions. All of those things are, are very important. They're all important. Not just here and now, even for, but even for us. But when you pursue the bread of life first, you pursue someone who in our passage had enough goodness and enough compassion to feed all those hungry people on the ground, even though he knew how they were, even though he knew they were still wrong. You pursue the bread of life, Jesus Christ, who had enough goodness and compassion even for us to give his life for us, even though we are still sinners and still wrong. When you pursue him, you find more compassion. You find more mercy for the others who've been wronged. And you practice goodness and mercy to the world. Even when you pray, praying is important. We all know that. But, and what you pray for is important. But when you pursue Jesus for Jesus, you start praying not just to get your own personal desires met, what you think you need the most, but your prayers change. You start praying for him. And you start asking him, Jesus, what do you think I need? What is it that you, I need the most? What do you think I need the most? And I pray that you provide that. 
Friends, I don't know where we are. I don't know what bread we're living for today, what we're pursuing. Sometimes I just need to remind myself that because even as a pastor, I'm consumed with what I don't have. I'm consumed with what I want better. I'm consumed with even just whatever I got in my hands and just wanting the next best thing and or, or a greater thing. And I forget all about the thing that I'm supposed to be focused on. But whatever it is, I hope you get what you need this year. I, I hope whatever you're praying for, whatever you're desiring for, whatever good thing it is, I hope you could be happy in life. But what I want to show you in this passage that even if, even if you really don't get what you've been asking for, even if you don't get what you've been praying for, what you really think you really need right now, whatever it is, whatever it is, that bread that you think your life can't live without, that will make your life a little more happier, a little more fulfilling, a little more satisfying, even if you don't get it. I want you to know what Jesus seems to be saying here in this passage, that if you have him, then you have what you need the most right now at this very moment to get you through the day. That's what he's saying. Why? because he's the bread and everything else, everything else compared to him, it's just butter. It just complements the bread, but it can never ever replace it and it will never fully satisfy. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. So how do we do this? Or should I say this? What does God give us then to endure and to prepare and to, to really see the real bread behind the signs, to feed on the bread of life, to, to, to look for Jesus himself, to make him our goal. And Jesus says, you feed on him, you'll never go hungry. And there are a lot of things that we could do, okay? Bible study, fellowship, prayer, you know, whatever it is, worship, sermons, and you know, so many things. But let me just give you one thing that we could do this year to, to, to really think about uh, keeping Jesus in the forefront of our lives. And that is, it's prayer. And it's not just any prayer. It's not just praying for anything, but it's the kind of prayer that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter six. Remember this, the Lord's prayer? And there Jesus tells us how to pray. And this is what he says. He says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. His name, not yours. We pray for his kingdom, not yours. His will, not yours. His bread, daily bread. We're asking, give us this day your daily bread. And we're praying for his bread. And it reminds us then who our true provider is as we pray like this. You can plant, you can work, you can water, but it's the Lord who causes growth. When we pray like this and we pray according to this, these ways, it reminds us that all that we have is due to God's goodness and not our ability to kind of make our own bread. And every day we realize that every day is a new day filled with new blessings and also sometimes new struggles. And that's why we need this reminding daily, just like the Israelites in the wilderness who had to gather bread one day at a time, we need to learn the discipline of dailiness one day at a time. The reason Jesus says you will never go hungry is not because, well, you know, you get Jesus once and that's going to satisfy you the rest of your life. No, because Jesus knows or God knows that you need him every day 
to trust him every day, every new day, to be a dependent person every day for who he is for you, the bread of life. And he's always there daily to remind us and to renew us of his grace. You know, in Habakkuk chapter 3 in the Old Testament, verses 17 to 19, this is what the, the prophet prays, and he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord is my strength. Everything gone. Everything gone. Yet I will rejoice because you are my savior, you're my Lord, my life and strength. You're my bread of life, that's what he's saying. If your dreams crumbled, if your desires never came through, if there was nothing left for you right here in this world, would you and I still be able to rise in the midst of our tears and still say, I am with joy because the Lord is my Lord. The Lord is my life and he is my strength. And so this year, as we continue in our, 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 our life in our series, I pray that God help us to be people who see the sign, who see the sign behind the miracles, who look at our blessings, our earthly blessings, and say, these things point me to the reality of the presence of God in my life. I pray that we become people who follow Jesus, even when there are no more plants, no more animals, no more physical bread, and still say, I am full. I am full of joy because I'm a child of God. He's in my life and I will follow him by faith. He's my daily bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much.